This is episode 72 of How to Human, and this is a continuation of yesterday's podcast about the issues most commonly brought up in therapy in 2019. And today I'm going to cover issues 6 through 10. The sixth issue brought up in therapy in 2019 that was more common was experiencing loss or uncertainty in some capacity. This is more of a vague one, and I do have an answer for this and how I think society consciously or unconsciously caused this. A change in individual perception of themselves such that they felt the world differently than they had in years prior. So this is a world where we're less certain about things. We don't look at facts in the same way. Everything is sort of, well, sometimes this, sometimes that. You never really know because there's an exception for everything. And I've called this postmodernism. I've started calling it exceptionism. And it does something to the psyche, I judge. It does something to say that I can't really have solid ground to stand on because everything is sort of variable and fluid. And when I don't have a solid foundation that I can feel settled in, everything around us seems so hard to pin down. So when they talked about Carl Jung and Nietzsche both talked about the loss of religion and how it would leave people meaningless. They wouldn't know where to put their their belief in. And I'd argue that's happened a bit with this new culture where we don't have things that are true anymore. Everything is variable. Everything is situational. And in that way, we feel a bit lost. There's no way to feel that we have a solid track that we can follow to make sense of the world again. And I know this is all super vague, and that's because it is vague, because everything is vague now. It used to be that we knew up was up, down was down, left was left, right was right. And now it's all about somebody else's perspective. Somebody else can have a different perspective on something and we need to respect that perspective, which we should, but to the extent we respect everybody's perspective, there's no neutral perspective. There's no truth that exists outside of somebody's perspective that we can rely on. And that makes people feel weird and lost and uncertain. And when faced with actual uncertainty or loss, in a world of uncertainty, we're even more lost or more uncertain. And 
it just screws with our psyche on a level that we aren't consciously aware of. And it's a way that society has changed that we aren't necessarily aware of, but as individuals, it does bother us. And it apparently manifests itself in how we think about uncertainty and loss, and then it gets brought up to our therapists. The next issue brought up in therapy in 2019 that was more common than previous years was gender dynamics in relationships. And this is a tough one because it probably cuts both ways. In that one, people are clinging to old definitions of male, female, and people don't like it and they think it's BS that should be mm, removed or people feel that the social engineering to move people more towards the gender neutral middle doesn't work for them and they're unhappy in that dynamic. So let's cover both. First, the idea that we cling to old patriarchal messages of what a male-female dynamic looks like and the extent that we cling to that hurts relationships. And one of the examples given in this article was women making more money than men and that causing men to feel emasculated and women to feel resentful. And in a gender neutral world, that attitude wouldn't exist. It shouldn't matter the gender who makes more money. And holding onto those ideas is, in this worldview, a, an anachronism and something that's reinforced by culture that shouldn't exist and the extent to which it will create feelings inside the relationship container, those feelings are invalid. And as such, people would go to therapy to say, why do I feel like this? I don't want to feel like this and help me fix it. That's one attitude that people are still clinging to gender roles that are invalid and those roles should be removed. I mean, this can be as simple as who does most of the child care, who does most of the cleaning, who does, you know, the managing of the money, these various tasks that are culturally defined and cast on to relationships without a thought of what actually works for the relationship. So that would be the view from someone who wants these gender norms to be removed and how those gender dynamics are hurting relationships that we wish we could just be people and not male, female. And then there's the other side, which is that the eroding of traditional gender norms hurts a relationship. And personally, this is the side I find myself on. I find gender neutrality 
Hmm. A loss that we are silently having, and I feel it's a bad one. And per my other comments about polarity causing attraction, that's a thing. And those gender norms that we're trying to get rid of that we think are a mistake brought forward by previous generations who were less conscious and less developed and caused more pain than they did benefit. Some of those things really have value. Some of those things make people feel happy. And this isn't just sexual attraction, but in my experience, men like to protect and women like to feel protected. And I mean this physically, financially, and emotionally. This isn't 100%. I'm sure there are many women who would like to protect, provide, and be the emotional backbone of the relationship. And they can exist, but that doesn't make it the norm. And this is exceptionism. This is postmodernism where because one idea exists and it's true for some people doesn't make it true for everybody and it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the norm that works for most people. And I mean, as a really simple example, I'm going to bet there's no woman anywhere that wants to feel less safe when their male partner is at home. They want to feel more safe, right? So that's physical safety. And I assume most women don't want a partner who is a financial drain on the relationship that spends more than he makes. And these are important roles. And I, another one, I presume there aren't a lot of women who want a man who breaks down more easily, who is more emotionally flustered than is she. She has to say, calm down, it's not that big a deal. I can't imagine that most women feel that way. And maybe these are, this is too frank a way to say it, but it's important to say on a certain level because if we don't say these things out loud, people don't think them. And maybe they are ugly, but that doesn't make them not true. And people believe what we tell them. So if we tell them that there's no difference between men and women, or rather we're moving to an era where there's more gender neutrality and Therefore, we get no difference in a man's ability to protect physically, emotionally, and financially. If there's, we're taught no difference, then there will be no difference. And then people who have sort of this primal need to feel this way will be underserved. As a man, it makes me 
happy to make a woman feel safe. And I know without even having to ask anybody, and this isn't anecdotal, this is just somehow my body knows this, that a woman likes to be feeling, likes to feel protected. And of course, everybody knows that. And it's something we don't say out loud anymore. And maybe you could say, Dave Messman, no duh. Everybody knows this. No, they don't. I promise you there's a generation of children that say, no, I don't know that. That sounds like patriarchal BS to me. Okay, fine. You can believe what you want to believe. And as you believe what you want to believe, you're going to try to change cultural norms to match what you believe. That's how it works. And these things are important to know because, frankly, men enjoy protecting and women enjoy being protected. And I mean it physically, financially, and emotionally. And I think about how there are a lot of feminists that would take that statement apart. And that's fine. That doesn't make it not true. At a certain point, this is the point of logic being more important than emotion sometimes. Because the way you feel about a statement that is true or mostly true or so important that we need to know it is irrelevant if you are negating its ability to be negating its ability to exist in the world if it's an important thing for it to exist your feelings about it are irrelevant because what you're doing is detracting from our ability to live in a world with facts facts matter these things are true they may not be true for you but they're true so much that people need to know them and hear them and feel them and think them so if people believe things that aren't true about how a relationship works it's going to cause problems in the relationship and bring relationship problems into therapy in 2019 the next issue, dealing with triggering reports of sexual assault. This is a tough one. This can mean two different things. And one, which is the one I'm not going to cover very much, is it makes you feel bad to hear about other people having been sexually assaulted. Okay. I touched in the previous episode about what a lot of empathy in the culture does and other people's pain is certainly something you should be aware of 100% and you should care about it and perhaps even want to make changes to remedy any situation where other people are feeling pain however if it causes you to talk about it in therapy that your, their pain is so much a part of your life 
that it causes you that level of discomfort. It can cause you discomfort, but there has to be a measure that is too much. So if somebody else's pain that you have not experienced can be felt by you on a scale of zero to a hundred and 60 causes you to have a depression, that's probably too much. It's not your pain. And right, this is the judgment. You can feel it however you want to feel it. But I think it's pretty logical for human beings to separate themselves from other people. So this is the really minor point anyway. But what I'm saying is too much empathy isn't a great thing. Or rather, it can have its drawbacks. So the other part of sexual assault in the public sphere causing pain that leads people to therapy in 2019 is remembering your own sexual assaults. And I don't know if I have much comment on this one. It is, I don't know if this will make me in trouble, but put me in trouble, but I'd imagine the response to most painful events is compartmentalization. And that's the case for me. The things that really bothered me in my life, I lock them away. I put them in a little box and say, here's something I'm not going to think about anymore. And I'm not comparing any of my life trauma to a sexual assault because I know it is very personal for women, as it should be, a violation of their body. And... It hurts when I've compartmentalized those things and they come back up. And I can't imagine what that feels like. And I don't know if I have a conscious or unconscious societal change that affects this. I, I will say, what I was gonna say was that in the Me Too era, that making these things so widely known could trigger some feelings about past sexual assaults. But there's another side to it, which is that the more we're aware of these things, the more they're in the public consciousness, these Me Too moments and sexual assaults and such, the more that those things are in the public sphere, the more society can change and will change. And maybe the fact that people are triggered by remembering things that they had compartmentalized is just an unfortunate part of a new society that we're building that is more empathetic towards the female experience overall. And I think that's all it is. I don't have it. Not that I need to have an answer for this or have a solution. It is just sad and a part of it's a an emergent from the work that we did in order to create a better space for women in this country and around the world the next issue brought up in therapy in 2019 more commonly was 
anxiety about being in public spaces. So I'm going to cover this in two ways, one in the way that's covered in the article and one that I think fits. The way it was covered in the article was basically about gun violence, that we hear all about all these mass shootings and people are worried. They're out in public and there are mass shootings in public. And why wouldn't that happen to me? And that's not totally unreasonable in terms of what a person might perceive in that these things are covered a lot. If it bleeds, it leads was the old adage for the news. And with 24 seven news coverage and a political agenda in that news coverage to cover these things to, this is my judgment, make gun safety, or rather the anti-gun movement more in the public awareness by over by covering it so much and just discussing it ad nauseum when there is a shooting. And I'm not taking one side or another on the Second Amendment or whether or not guns should be banned. I'm saying there is a political agenda at play and in the amount of coverage that's done. And if it bleeds, it leads. Meaning it is going to get ratings for people to see people in pain, things that are large stories. It's sort of this self-feeding cycle. We care about it because it is horrific. And because it's horrific, we care about it. And then people have protests and all these things happen. And what happens is we read so much, we hear so much, we watch so much. We believe it's constant. And you could argue it is constant. There are several mass shootings per day if we, depending on how we define mass shooting, as in there are more than there are days of the year. And that sounds like a lot, except this is a giant country. And the chances of you dying in a mass shooting are close to zero. You have a much greater chance of dying on a bicycle, dying in a car accident, probably not dying in a plane crash. But because you feel that your life is in danger doesn't mean that it actually is. One of my favorite statistics is that you are more likely to die from a coconut falling on your head from a palm tree than you are to die from a shark attack. But people are way more scared of dying in a shark attack. And what I, the point I'm making is that it's your brain telling you a story about how likely something is to happen and your body's gonna react. Your lizard brain, your amygdala, which is your fear center, it doesn't know statistics. It doesn't know anything like that. It's just scared. It's giving you a fight or flight 
based on emotions. Your amygdala is very emotional. And because there's so much coverage, people get worried and the emergent is people are more anxious about getting shot than percentages would dictate that they should be. And my comment on this, people having anxiety in public spaces. This goes back to the phone comments from the previous podcast that we are so much on our phones and using that as a replacement for actual human connection. And public spaces are about human connection. We don't know what it's like to be in human spaces as much anymore. We see this with children particularly, that their noses are in their phones so much they don't develop all the social skills that they would have otherwise if they weren't on their phones. And that can create an anxiety when you don't feel as comfortable. Of course it would. When a person can evaluate their own social skills based on those, compared to those around them or their own judgment of what should be normal, if one is substandard by their own definition, yeah, that's anxiety perfect provoking, producing, and all I'm saying is that that part is the emergent of a disconnected culture, and disconnected people feel more anxious when in socially connected situations, and that's what I think about that. The final issue brought up in therapy in 2019 that is more pervasive than previous years, navigating anxiety and depression at the same time. And reading the text beneath this one, it covers a lot of the same things that I talked about before, mostly about loss of connection. The There's a quote here, research shows that disconnection from three key aspects of our lives drives anxiety and depression ourselves, others, and nature. So I've talked about disconnection from others as part of our phone culture. And disconnecting from ourselves, yeah, I'd argue that's partially the phones, but it's partially our entire first world sphere. The extent to which we lose ourselves in some kind of inane activity. And yeah, I mean binging shows on Netflix. I mean, I also mean watching sports. I mean anything where you shut your brain off and outsource it to be entertained by something else. The extent to which we don't think, the extent to which we're not contemplating ourselves and our place in the world. And you think, Dave Messman, what are you talking about? Well, I'm saying that 
this is going to be a really weird example from an atheist, but a hundred, I don't know, 200 years ago when we were like reading the Bible every day, we thought about it, what it meant to be us, to be a human who had these ideas to live by and what it meant to us and how we should behave as ourselves, as individuals, and how we should treat other people. And it was sort of a self-focused learning about, about ourselves. And as I keep talking about Nietzsche and Jung saying, when religion's gone, where's the meaning? I'm saying, yeah, where's the meaning? If we are just distracting ourselves, and that's our main form of leisure, or rather our main form of existing is distraction. There's something missing. There's something really meaningful about understanding who we are, what we are, where we are, what we're supposed to do. That's really meaningful to some people. Or rather, this is perhaps an opinion, a true opinion, it's meaningful to everybody. You may not realize it yet that you are unhappy with all the distractions and how they are the thing that you think life is. Really? Life is these distractions? And this isn't to say, I mean, if we look at culture, people are more and more uh, spending time with distractions. So this is Netflix, this is video games, this is, you know, for some people, porn. This is things that are entirely outsourced. Your brain doesn't have to do anything. It's all coming at you and you're not going at it. It's all input, no output. And there's no growth of self when it's all output and no input. It's all input and no output. There's something about outputting our ideas into the world, outputting our thinking about what we want to output and calibrating that to make it something worthwhile. That's really, that's meaningful. It's becoming a better person and there's value in becoming a better person. And I judge that the process of just existing as a distraction machine hurts our soul. And I'm saying that people with hurt souls are probably anxious and depressed and they lack connection. And per that quote I read, there's no connection to nature. We're designed for nature. We're designed to be outdoors. We're designed to breathe the air, feel the wind, have our feet on the ground. I read a book called Sleep Smarter, and it said that we should be grounding ourselves. And what he meant was 10 feet with our body contacting the earth. 
because in this world we live in, with ele electromagnetic fields everywhere, that we actually never touch the Earth. The Earth is a grounding mechanism, like on a, an electromagnetic field level. If we're on bare feet, we step on concrete, or we have our shoes on even if we're on grass. And, but you could also hug a tree. Yeah, I, I mean it literally, hug a tree or touch a tree and let the negative ions from the earth fill your body because your body doesn't touch the planet. Look, that might be a little bit woo-woo. I don't know. I don't think it is. Maybe it is. But more specifically, we spend so much time indoors under fluorescent lighting and staring at a computer screen or phone screen or TV. And that's all stuff in our head. And our head is where depression and anxiety live. Our body, that's where life lives. I have a podcast many, several dozen ago. I believe it's called Live in the Body. That talked about this, that we have this world where we're always thinking and never doing. And life is about doing. We grew up as a species doing. We spent hundreds of thousands of years as hunter-gatherers, just running around, killing buffalo and stuff, and then eating it, and then rinse and repeat. And but we're all in nature. And it's what we're designed to do, what we're, how we evolved. And that evolution is relevant because it becomes what we like. We, were ev we evolved to like it. Or rather, maybe we didn't evolve to like it. We evolved such that we worked in harmony with our environment, that outdoor nature environment. And now we're in this artificial environment that is different and maybe it hurts us. And you know what? It does hurt us. That's an opinion. It's a true opinion, but it's an opinion. And in my experience, the more time I spend not in this office, stale environment, or just like any kind of indoors artificial environment it does mean something it's hard to remember for me uh, because it isn't how my life is necessarily structured it, it is a a process for me to remember okay do this thing it'll make you happy tomorrow because I don't necessarily feel it in the moment and I there's some people who don't but it's one of those things that has this benefit down the line. All those things have a benefit down the line. The meaning that we get in ourselves, we may not feel it in the moment, but we'll feel it years to come. That connection that we have with another person, it may feel good in the moment, but over time, it's going to create not just a pattern of behavior, but a mindset, a 
over time, you're either one of two things, a person who does things that's healthy for them or a person that doesn't. And that's just based on your behavior. And your behavior is whatever you make it to be. So you do healthy things, you're gonna have a healthy mindset. If not, if you do unhealthy things, you have an unhealthy mindset, period. So the things that I'm talking about are contributors to a healthy mindset. And any particular one isn't really going to make a giant difference in the course of your life, but the pattern will. So we create a pattern of healthy behaviors that will lead to a healthy mind. And that is it for this episode of How to Human. And back again tomorrow.